0: If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus 33, and then if you have your guide, um, if you don't have your Bible, you want to follow along and track with us in your guide, we're in session 10. So let me pray, and then we will jump in. Find my remote here. There we go. All right. Father, thank you so much uh, for another day that you have given us. Thank you for life and breath. God, thank you for your spirit that dwells within us and allows us, enables us to know you. So God, tonight as we dive into your word, as we look um, into your scriptures and kind of close out the book of Exodus, I pray that you would renew our minds and hearts. Father, that we would seek to know you in a deeper way and that you would make yourself known to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's the longest you've gone without drinking water? Water. Let me take a sip of water while you guys think about that question. What'd you say? You can get a drink of water if you need to. It's all good. How long? How long do you think? A whole whole week? No. Just liquids at all. Like without liquids. Liquids. Because any time you drink a liquid, you're actually drinking water. Like, huh? You've gone three days without drinking liquid? That's that's incredible. You didn't die. Seriously, hey, do you know how long the human body can last without water? Any, no, 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 any water, not sustenance, but water. It's three days. There's no way it's been three days. That's that's you'd be dead. I think you'd be dead. Yeah. Like no liquids. The body is like 60% water, so like we, we need some water. Huh? 70, sorry, thank you. It's okay, thank you. I'm glad there's a smart guy in the room that can correct me. That's helpful. Um, here's the deal. So like, I don't know, I don't know personally how long. I tried to think about it today. I actually spent probably way too long trying to think about how long I've gone without drinking any water. Um, but the reality, like what I did see is how water and lack of water affects your body. I kind of did some research. What I didn't know, so like if you don't have water, it actually dries your skin out and you're more prone to wrinkles. That was interesting. I didn't know that. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, raise your hand if you ever been like dehydrated before. Like what happened? Tell me about that. Luke, tell me about when you were dehydrated. hmm hmm Your pee looks like Mountain Dew. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Seriously, <laughs> your coach is ridiculous, man. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like, it's, is it, here's the deal. You ran it into your car like you're walking and no, we were camping. Okay. And my mom I fell because I was like I don't know, I fell on some gravel I felt like it cut my hand or something but and then I, didn't I didn't all, like didn't drink all water. We were out on the boat all day and we came back on my mom to so show my mom and like, I walked into the car and then I fainted and then like I couldn't stop shaking Yeah. Dehydration is painful. I think a lot of people don't we you know, we always think of dizzy, we think of we think of a lot of these things but we don't think of pain. And one of the interesting things, so I was reading my Bible this week, I'm doing this reading plan where I'm kind of like reading through like the story of Scripture, and then I read one psalm every day. And a couple days ago I came across Psalm 42, and it says this. It says, As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. We, as people, enjoy water. We crave water. And we as people, because we need it to survive, like there's this deep desire for water. However, at the same time, I love this, this picture that the psalmist gives us where he says, As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you. I thirst for God. He's craving this, he's craving God as if he craves water. He's craving God. In this deep, profound way where it it stirs up desire, right? We need water to survive. So, like, the psalmist is convinced that he desperately needs God in order for his own basic survival and for his needs to be met. I mean, there's so many things that these just like two sentences show us about our own longing for God. I think if we're honest with ourselves, thirsting for God doesn't necessarily describe our relationship with Him. Right when, you, when we look at our own life, when we look at um, how we pursue God in day-to-day life, how we think about God as we go throughout our day, whether you know it's in the hallways at school or while we're doing our homework or um, maybe even here or whatever, that thirsting for him is not maybe a way that we would describe our spiritual life right now. And if that's you, then I want you to listen up tonight. Because I believe that God's Word has something to teach you, something to show you about God and who He is. You see, we in our culture are typically prone to lack this, this eagerness and tenacity when it comes to pursuing godliness, when it comes to pursuing God in general. A lot of times what we do is we take our our spiritual life, and we equate it to pursuing this list of do's and don'ts, right? So like, I get up in the morning and I'm going to read my Bible, or I get up in the morning and I'm going to pray. I'm going to spend time and be close with other Christians. I'm going to not cuss. I'm going to not do these things. I'm not going to go out and party because it gives me this image. I'm not going to um, have sex before marriage. I'm not going to do this. And so we we have this long, 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 long list of do's and don'ts, and that ends up being the thing that we pursue and the thing that we give our attention to as it relates to our relationship with God. And what this text shows us tonight is that it's not a list of do's and don'ts that we pursue. It's a person. We don't pursue a list. We pursue a person. We don't seek after and thirst for a list of things to do. We seek after and thirst for God himself It's through these things that we do that we get to know God more intimately. But it is He is the focus, not the task. Not the task. And so I I see it all the time, this lacking of eagerness when it comes to our own relationship with Christ. And here's the deal. If we genuinely know God, if you know God, then the Holy Spirit, the Bible promises this. God's Word promises this. If we know God, The Holy Spirit will stir up a deep affection and longing to know him. There will be at work in you this this desire to know God more. There will be at work in you this craving, this thirsting, this deep longing for God. To know him intimately, to know him deeply. Now what I'm not saying is that this desire ebbs doesn't ebb and flow. Because... Even, you know, I'm prone to, you know, periods of my life where I long for God less. And it's in those moments where I'm more focused on the world and pursuing the things of this world than I am God. And that's a very simple way to summarize it. Um, But it's true. It's true. Or I get too focused on myself and I, I forget and kind of push God out. And so even in my time in the Word, I'm more focused on myself and what I can get out of the Word than just focusing on the King and what the Word is trying to teach me. About him, So knowing God should lead to this greater depth of unity with God. As we grow in our understanding for God and who he is, we grow in our unity with him. We, we experience this deep togetherness with God himself. And the reality is, in the promise of scripture, and this is amazing, this is amazing, because what the Bible shows us in the book of Exodus is that we pursue a God who chooses to make himself known to make himself accessible. You see, one of the interesting things about the gods that people worshipped back then is many of them were these like far-off deities that nobody could ever like, reach. And God, in the book of Exodus, comes down and meets his people where they are and says, I want to dwell among you and make you my people, and I will be your God. And so we get the opportunity to pursue a God who has fully made himself known to us. God is not some mystery that is far off and and, and, and out of reach. God is near, and he's made himself accessible through Christ. And that's the reality of the book of Exodus. That's, That's what the book of Exodus is all about. It's about God making himself known and accessible to corrupt people. That's the simple summary of the book of Exodus. So we pursue a God who chooses to make himself known. And what I want to do, I just kind of want to, uh, look at the first three verses here of Exodus 33 and kind of talk about where we're at in the story, right? So um, this series, Exodus and Leviticus, is almost done. We, this is the last night that we're going to spend in the book of Exodus, and then next week we're going to spend three weeks in the book of Leviticus, and then we're jumping into the book of Acts. And so before you leave, if you want to, um, if you like use these personal study guides and you like them and, and they're, they're helpful for you throughout the week, you're more than welcome to grab one for the winter on your way out. Again, they're three bucks. Um, if you lose it. So first one's free, second one's three bucks. If you, if you lose it and need to get a second one, but they're on the back table, you can grab one on your way out. Or you can wait, we'll have them out there for three weeks. So if you think you're going to lose it sometime between now and when we start the book of Acts in three weeks, you don't have to grab it now. I just wanted to make that option open to you. But so we're in this, this is, you know, after the tonight, it's three more weeks. And so in the story so far, we are um, after the golden calf. Right? We talked about the golden calf last week, if you were here. And this is kind of as a result of that. So God has, has given Moses the Ten Commandments and the initial kind of things and requirements and terms of God's covenant with his people Israel. And then he laid out for Moses the construction plans for the tabernacle, which is this, basically just this sweet, awesome tent that is designed to house the presence of the Lord among the community of Israel as they travel to the Promised Land. So this was a tent that was, you know, super awesome. There was tons of things in there that were, like, plated with gold and silver and bronze. Um, it's made out of, like, this special cloth. All of these things were made out of resources that Egypt gave the Israelites because they wanted them out of Egypt so bad. And so God uses these resources, and he he designs this tabernacle. He gives Moses the instructions. And then the people, right, we talked about this last week, or. As Moses is up on Mount Sinai for 40 days, the people get impatient and they, be, they they ask Aaron to make a golden calf out of their Egyptian jewelry that they have. And so we, we see God show grace and mercy to them, but that grace and mercy is not without an effect. There are consequences to that effect. And so we pick up here uh, in verse 1 of Exodus 33. Would somebody like to read that for us? Go ahead. It's okay. You can skip that part. You're fine. Yeah. Stiff-necked, stubborn, slow to change. That's kind of what that what that means. They're they're slow to turn from their ways. And to to be molded into God's ways. And so because of this stiff-neckedness, this is how God is describing the people who are so quick to worship the calf, to make this idol out of the calf. And God does something very interesting. He tells them, I'm still going to lead you into the promised land. I'm still going to fulfill my promise to lead you into the promised land. I'm not going to take that away from you. However, it is not my presence that will guide you there. I will send a messenger. I will send an angel to go before me and guide you to the promised land. So the consequence of this, there are consequences previously in chapter 32 Um, You can read about those in verses uh, 22 through the rest of the chapter. There were some consequences that God dealt out on the camp of Israel. Um, But the big idea here is that God cannot reside among an impure people. You see, God is holy. And I know a lot of times you know we talk about holiness and we, we think about holiness and it's kind of this picture that might be difficult for us to grasp because the reality of God's holiness is when something impure moves near it, it dies. You see, the impurity of the Israelites cannot survive in God's presence. And because God's presence is perfectly holy and perfectly pure, he cannot be around impurity. And so the entire book of Leviticus is this picture of making israel pure that's why the book of leviticus exists that is the picture of what it means for them to be made pure so that they can enter in the presence of god and god can dwell with his people but in this passage god is saying my presence cannot go with you you are an impure people you are a stiff-necked people god's holiness um a, a, an image that i've heard is god's holiness is like the sun right so the sun is this this picture of complete purity right there's no germ that can survive or bacteria that can survive in the intense heat of the sun, right? It's completely clean. It's pure. Its, it's complete goodness radiates out from tons of miles away, right? Millions of miles away. Hits earth and is a, is a tool in the hands of God to give life on the earth, right? We would not be able to survive on this planet without the sun. Plants, animals, all of these things, our entire life depends on the goodness of the sun to be here. However, the closer we get to this goodness and this incredible amount of purity, the more dangerous it is for us, right? No human being can survive. They actually say if the sun was moved or if the earth was moved just a little closer to the sun, it wouldn't be able to survive. Life would not be able to be maintained here. And so um, this this sun, though, is this great picture of holiness because we cannot be near that incredible amount of goodness. It just helps us understand how powerful holiness is. And so God cannot reside with the impure people. And so God begins to tell them, again, I'm going to send somebody out before you. Well, Moses doesn't like this. And in verse 12, it says this, Moses said to the Lord, look, you've told me lead this people up, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor with me. Now, if I have indeed found favor with you, Please teach me your ways, and I will know you, so that I may find favor with you. Now consider that this nation is your people. And he replied, This is God. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So Moses appeals to God, and God seems to say, Okay, my presence will go with you. And it's this this interesting dialogue that we see. Uh, It's kind of choppy. The the English kind of sounds a little funky. But one of the things that we see here is that Moses desires to know God. Look what he says, if you know, if I know you by name and you have also found favor with me, verse 13, now I have indeed found favor with you. Please teach me your ways. Please teach me your ways. See Moses shows us that in order for us to grow in our intimacy with God, we must learn the ways of God. And so in order for us to grow closer to God, there's not this secret formula or this like mystical like weird thing that we have to do to become close with God. No, no, it's just as simple as learning the ways of the Lord, of learning the ways of the Lord and allowing the ways of the Lord to shape us in our way of life. And so Moses, again, has this deep eagerness and longing to know God. And what we see here is that Moses' knowing God allows him to experience the benefits of God. Because Moses knows God, he can experience God's benefits. God's, God not only says, I'll take you in the promised land, but he like recants on his consequence and he says, You know what? I'm going to send my presence before you. I'm going to, because you have faith in my name, Moses is turning back to God. The people have rebelled, and Moses is showing this, this desire, even out of that rebellion, to turn back to God and say, God, teach me your ways. I want to live like you want me to live. And so God says, You know what? I can work with this. My presence. Will go before you. And God sets up again, this, this sets up the book of Exodus because it sets up the way that God makes his people pure so that his presence can go with them to the promised land and lead them. And so God promises his blessing, right? This blessing um, has echoes all the way back to Genesis 15 where God tells Abraham that through his family, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. They're going to be blessed. And this blessing includes many things. It includes land, a home. It includes God providing for his people, giving them everything that they need, daily bread, right? In this wilderness story, we remember we talked about manna from heaven? That's still happening. Every single day, God is making manna appear at the camp. That's still happening. Every single day, the people are waking up to bread, literally on the ground for them to gather, their needs met for the day. This blessing promises provision. It promises a home. It promises protection. God's presence going with them is the symbol to the nations not to mess with Israel. Because they're literally being led by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud of smoke by day. So imagine like this group of, you know, over a million people walking through the desert of Israel. And this cloud just kind of like going before them. Showing them where to go. Telling them when to stop and camp by coming down and telling them when to get up and move, by rising up. And so this is why the presence of God being with the people was so important, because the presence of God affirmed the blessing. The people of Israel, this million people, knew that if God was with them, they would get that home, they would get that provision, they would get that protection. But not only that, they will get access to God, which is the greatest aspect of the blessing. Access. The opportunity to approach God. In the book of Leviticus, you see these like sacrifices that happen. And these sacrifices were simply met for the, the, the sin and the way sin corrupted humanity. A sacrifice was the symbol of transferring that corruption off of humanity and onto this animal. And the animal would die as the punishment for that transfer of sin. So I no longer have to die. This animal can die in my place. And it's, it's looking forward to Jesus. And the transferring of humanity's sin on Jesus. And that Jesus died, it took away the impurity of us. And so what was a temporary covering of sin in the Old Testament has now been fully realized. And it's an eternal purity that is now given to the people of God. We have eternal access to God. That is the good news of Christ. That God has made a way for corrupt people to not just be made right with God temporarily, but to be made right with God for eternity. To where our corruption cannot beat back God's holiness. It's as if God's holiness comes in us and instead of us dying because of our impurity, his holiness is transferred to us, making us holy and being able to be with him. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is how it's, it's foreshadowed, it's looked forward to in the Old Testament. This is why Jesus in Luke chapter 24 gets with the disciples after he was resurrected and literally goes through all of the law, which is the first five books of the Bible, the prophets, which is all of the prophets after this, and the Psalms, the books of wisdom in the Old Testament, and literally goes through all these books and says, there I am, there I am, there I am, because the entire Old Testament is looking to Jesus. It's looking to the cross. And so we are able as believers in Christ to draw near to the throne of grace. We experience the blessings of God as God's people today. We experience his his provision, his protection, this access that he gives us to himself. And in the next few passages here, in verses 15 through 17, we see Moses' experiencing of the favor of God and the benefits of God leads him into this, again, this desire for his presence. Moses desires the presence of God. That's what he wants most. Moses doesn't just want the benefits of knowing God. He wants God himself. So let's look at verses 15 through 17 together. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked for you have found favor with me and I know you by name. See, we don't just know God, God knows us. And he makes himself known to us. But there's this really, really cool thing that Moses does here. He says, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go into the land. We do not want to experience your blessing if your presence is not with us. Because if your presence is not with us, the blessing isn't good. The blessing isn't good. This is a picture of Moses' heart and his deepest desires. Moses doesn't just want the benefits of knowing God. He wants God. He wants God. He wants the eternal gift of God's presence. I think many of us look at our Christianity and our lives in Christ this way, as a one-way ticket to an eternal life. We tell ourselves this, and we share the gospel like this. Accept Christ and you'll go to heaven. Accept Christ and you'll experience eternal life. These things are true, but here's the deal. They're not the point. Going to heaven is a good thing. Going to heaven is an is a effect of being saved. Going to heaven is what's promised to God's people. But it's not the point. You see, we make it the point. We say, follow Christ and you'll have eternal life. Follow Christ and you won't go to hell. Follow Christ and you'll experience the joys of an eternity with God. All of these things are true. But heaven is not the point of following Jesus. If heaven was the point of following Jesus, then there would be no reason to follow Jesus. And here's what I mean. If heaven was the point, then I would be encouraged. It would encourage me to wait until right before I'm about to die and say, okay, I'm good. I'm in. I'm in. Because heaven's the point. So if I just wait until the end of my life and then accept Christ, I'm in. I'm good. There's no point in a lifelong relationship with Christ if the point is to die and go to heaven. The point is union with God, unity with God, access to God himself. What makes heaven heaven is God. If God was not there, heaven would not be heaven. Heaven is always not described in scripture as a place far off. Heaven is always described as the place where God's presence is fully known to bless. Heaven is always described in the Bible as the place that God's presence is fully realized. The place where God's presence fully dwells. Not in part like we experience today through the Spirit of God, but in full. The fullness of God's presence. God's presence makes heaven heavenly. It makes heaven heavenly. The interesting thing about this, the interesting thing about this, is we get a piece of this now. As believers in Christ, we get to taste a piece of heaven today. We get to taste heaven now. Heaven is partially realized. Paul talks about this This. Already, but not yet. How we already have this access to God now today, but it will be fully realized in eternity, this promised coming of eternity. That's why I said it's important, right? Eternal life is important. It's something that is very, very real and and very, very much a reward for those who follow Christ. But it's not the point. It's not the point. And so we have the opportunity as those who know God to access God here and to spread heaven on earth. That's why Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why Jesus said things when he was here. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is here. God has brought his kingdom, his reign, his rule down to earth and given authority to believers in Christ to spread that kingdom like crazy. And so we get the opportunity to spread heaven, to bring heaven to earth and to encounter people with the good news of Christ. This is the foundation of worship. This is what makes us long for God the most. It is a desire for the presence of God that leads us to worship God and long for God. But Moses also gets a very, very interesting gift in this passage. In verse 18 it says this, Then Moses said, Please let me see your glory. He said, this is God, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live, right? We talked about this, this is God's holiness. You are to stand on a rock and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back but my face will not be seen. And what we know later in this passage is God does this. And when God does this, there's this beautiful poem later in chapter 34, verses 6 through 7, this beautiful poem where God actually reveals the most explicit revelation of his character in the entire book of Exodus. This is the most specific picture of God we have in the entire book of of the Bible up to this point. And that happens when God's presence comes to Moses. And Moses comes down off the mountain and his face is like shining like the sun. And people are like just amazed. And so Moses actually puts his face behind a veil. Because the impurity of the people cannot see and witness that glory. We, as believers in Christ, get the opportunity to witness the glory of God at work here today. We get the opportunity to take part in the spreading of God's kingdom. The glory of God is partially realized in those who believe, and we hope in the future glory that is to come. We see these things all the time, but we miss them. We see the glory of God in a transformed life. We see the glory of God in God's word revealing himself to us. We see God's word as we worship as a way of life, as we worship at school, work, home, in your friendships, wherever. We see the glory of God in creation in mountains and oceans and fields upon fields, in the intricacy of atoms and the vastness of space, we see the glory of God. We see the glory of God in humanity created in God's image. The the complexity of the human mind and the human body is this beautiful picture of God's glory on display and God's power. Because all of the things that need to be working together in order for me to walk is just incredible when you think about it. Some of you may be in anatomy class and you're seeing these things. I hope as you learn about the complexities of the human body, it leads you to worship. To, wow, God is incredible. We see the glory of God in redemption, in the story of scripture, in God redeeming his people, and God redeeming broken relationships and broken people and freeing people from the bondage of sin and death. We see God's glory in these things. And all of these things, how incredible they are, are only a fraction Only a fraction, only a small piece, only a taste, an appetizer of the glory that is to be revealed. Think about that. Think about how incredible all the things that I just listed are, and that's only just a small taste of the greatness of who God is. And so we witness His glory, and we bear witness to His glory. We talk about it. This is why we talk about the good news. Because we know God. We know God, we get to experience and participate in his benefits. We get to desire his presence. We, we begin to long after God and who he is. And it, it gives us this desire not just to see his glory but to talk about it with people. To, to share the news of how incredible God is. To share the news of how incredible God is. What's the longest you've gone without drinking the living water? You see, if, if, if God's word draws this parallel between drinking water and longing for God, what's the longest you've gone without drinking living water? And if the experience of physical dehydration is painful, what happens to your soul when you're spiritually dehydrated? It makes me think of the words of Jesus when he says, it doesn't matter if you gain the whole world. You could gain the whole world and lose your soul. You could gain the whole world and lose your soul. Are you experiencing the pain of spiritual dehydration? Do you long for God? Or have you been sucked dry by the world? Do you thirst for the living water? Or are you trying to replace that craving for God with something else? Instead of drinking water, which is good for you, maybe you're, you're grabbing like soda. And it's slowly killing you. You're grabbing onto these things in the world that you think will fill you and remove your dehydration, but it actually makes you more thirsty. Are you spiritually dehydrated? Are you feeling the pain of that? If so, I I hope that you talk to myself. I hope you talk with a leader or a friend. But most of all, I, I want you and hope that you dig and dive into this book because this book is filled with thousands upon thousands of gallons of living water that is never ending. This is a well that will not run dry. Jesus says, come to me, you who are thirsty, and you will be satisfied, filled. And so I pray that if you are thirsty, you would come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the living water that Christ gives us access to. I pray, God, if we are, if we are thirsty tonight, that we would come. That we would realize that the blood of Jesus gives us complete access to you and we would just come. That we would not make excuses, that we would not try to argue our way around it, that we would not put it off until later, but that we would just come. That we would come before you confessing our dehydration, that we would come before you confessing our need for you, that we would come confessing our propensity to replace you with things, to, to try to... Fill our thirst with things that will only make us more thirsty. And so God, I pray that tonight we would come, that we would taste and see that you are good and that your steadfast love, that your complete love, that your ongoing love endures forever. Oh God, help us. For we do not want to gain the world and lose our souls. And so we ask that we lose the world and gain you. Father, help us to know what it means to long for you in your presence and to know you completely. In Jesus' name, amen.